Okay, ready? Ready. Okay, three, two, one, go. Hi everyone, welcome to today's podcast of The Wrap and I've got with me a very special friend, um, a good old friend of mine and one of my first mentors. Um, let you choose to you, Mr. Shasmi Ali. He is the country HR director for Shell. Shasmi, welcome. Thank you, Nick. Thanks for having me. Always right. a pleasure. Okay. Now, uh, caveat here, Shasmi isn't feeling 100%, so... He's got a very sexy voice right now. Uh, it could be like a five 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 phone operator, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, uh, you know, but, and that's that was me last week as well. So we're all a bit under the weather. Thank you, Malaysia, for your not so great weather yeah, lately. Well, all right, trust me. So, um, how I normally start off is this: is I tell people how we know each other. Uh, so it was on Craigslist. Not kidding. <laughs> uh, so so. Uh, I was in a company called Pfizer and I interviewed, sorry, I didn't interview, I was given a task to find a HR director. So I went on, uh, no, I didn't go on Craigslist. We actually uh, interviewed a whole bunch of high-level people and uh, I consciously biased, hired, no, okay. <laughs> I, I talked to Shazmi and he was one of uh, you know really high-level candidates that I met for that this particular role and it was a bit weird because this is sort of like hiring my own boss as well mm. so obviously I have uh, ulterior motives to make sure that the guy that at least went to the shortlist was someone I really clicked with yeah. and we did you know I think we connected pretty well from, from day one and then um, you know put him across to the country managers and all the directors to talk to and needless to say you know he aced it and you know he was he, he accepted the offer to join uh, as the HR director for Malaysia, at first, then Singapore, then Brunei, then etc. etc. Uh, then yeah. ASEAN, then Lain Lain. ASEAN, then Lain Lain. Yeah. So, Shazmi, I'll leave it to you. Tell us about, a bit about yourself, uh, personal life, work life. You know how you grew up, uh, how you grew into the career wise to be where you are right now. I'm sure a lot of uh, people who who are in the HR community are interested to see what kind of career path they can emulate from you. Sure. Uh, so I still remember the first time you called me. Um, I was at uh, Changi Airport and I got a number uh, that I did not recognize. I was thinking, must be some guy trying to sell me something again. Uh, but you sold me a role. Uh, and I, from the first moment, I really liked the role. And I continued, uh, of course, uh, you know, uh, the interview process. And uh, luckily, I got the job. And uh, we worked together for a number of years. Yeah, I yeah. think uh, two, two years. Not cheap. Probably three, three, three years. Three years, yeah, three yeah. years. Yeah, I stayed on. Uh, you saw the light and left the organization. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, so I've been in uh, HR for the last 13, 14 years. Uh, not originally a HR guy. I'm a commercial guy by background. Mm -hmm. um, first few years of uh, post-uni um, uh, education, UUM uh, in Cosmopolitan Sinto. UUM and UUM was still good. Not to diss the, <laughs> the local unis now. Uh, I don't know how they are actually today, but right. I don't think they were that good either. But it was all right. Um, mm. It was a nice place. And the fact that UUM is in the middle of nowhere, and if you don't have a bike or you don't have a car, there's absolutely nothing for you to do on campus, then you, you become active. Did you have either one? No. No so car. You on campus. No car, no bike. Uh, I can't balance for. 
for nuts so I can't ride a bike bicycle or motorcycle right uh, car couldn't afford it um, so yeah so I walked everywhere I joined uh, different societies and I think that shape uh, who I am today I think that uh, very crucial I did some like extreme stuff like from one end to the other and I did debates uh, I was part of Isaac and if you're familiar with Isaac it's a lot of party mm-hmm. uh, I was also part of the Nashit team which is completely opposite from party is it Nashit the um The, the religious singing, the religious yeah. singing, yeah. Okay. So you do extremes of everything, um, but it was fun because then you realize that uh, you realize uh, being agile is important. So you can actually connect with so many different people based on the different uh, different group. Yeah. Uh, married for eleven years, three kids. I got a pair of twins, uh, a boy and a girl, who were insisting they wanted to follow me today. Right. Uh, and I've got a six-month-old baby. Okay. So also a girl. Also a girl. So the the twin is one boy, one girl. So I've got one son and uh, two daughters. Yeah, I remember when you had uh, the boy and girl as twins, and every single young future parent went for you for advice on how to lock <laughs> that down. Myself included, everyone else. Because you know, we wanted to tell every 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 female colleague wanted to know how it got done. Every male uh, colleague wanted to know how it yeah. got done because we wanted to have a boy and a girl and lock it down already. Yeah, oh, and we thought that was. Locking it down, uh, but surprise, yeah. another one comes by. Okay, yep. then um, yeah. So you graduated, and then uh, you were a commercial person from the start, and basically commercialist in finance or commercialist in no uh, business, business. Uh, business development, marketing, right. sales. Um, this was uh, the beginning of the dot com era, mm-hmm. uh, year two thousand. So some friends and I, we uh, well, my friend started this company called ChiliPadi dot com. Okay. Um, and uh, I joined him, um, so he was uh, leading business and the techno technology part. I was doing the ops and uh, some part of the commercial. This was a time when, if you're a Maxis uh, user, you cannot message or send a text message uh, to a cell phone person or DG. Wow. And there was no WhatsApp back then. <laughs> what WhatsApp? No WhatsApp. B- BBM was the closest thing that we got. Yeah, and uh, and so what we used to do was we came up with a platform that allowed this cross messaging. Right, and um, so that was great, and then we were the first um, that started this uh, push messages. Mm-hmm. So you know, um, you want to know traffic update in Jalan Ampang. We didn't have satellite images, nothing of those sort, uh, you know, no ways. So we had like an uncle who is uh, a newspaper seller, newspaper vendor in Jalan Ampang, and we will he'll send us a message today traffic okay or today traffic is not okay, and we'll get that um, feedback. And we input into the system, and that messages goes to every subscriber who wanted to know um, about traffic conditions. So it's traffic condition, horoscopes, uh, mobile coupons. You know, before the faves of the world, uh, this is what we, what we started. Wow, and and that, that seemed that you are really predicting the the the, the, the flow of I would say crowd crowd sourcing type of media. Information coming in. So why did it pick up? Did it become something? It big did. Uh, the first two years it was great, and then uh, the third year it was a bit of a challenge. Uh, it was the Asian financial crisis, and a lot of our customers were, uh, for lack of a polite word, uh, did not want to pay us because they knew we cannot take them to court. Uh, in terms of all the their procurement deals, we were of the lowest priority, and uh, it was a time when uh, I already bought my first house. At twenty four, twenty five, and you at twenty four, twenty five, you buy your first house. You think you're gonna rule the world, yeah. Uh, and then uh, we realized that oh, we're not gonna make uh, monthly wages. Uh, 
mm-hmm. and so I had to quit and uh, move on to the next company. It's a very humbling experience uh, because you think that oh, you're going to be able to conquer the world uh, very quickly. The world can uh, just kick you down. Yeah, did that sort of? Um, I guess as a what there was one of your first business experiences as a entrepreneur, as an owner, as a you know co-founder or part partner of this particular business. Now, um, ha- having moving on from there. Where did you go eventually? So, uh, because out of desperation for a housing loan, uh, so that I had to pay my mortgage, uh, I joined another organization, uh, Managed Healthcare. Um, they are still around. They're pretty big. Um, I did business development for them for a few years, liked it, and then one day out of the blue, somebody asked me, "Do you want to join HR?" Because I studied HR. My first degree was HR, yeah. but I didn't do anything HR before that. And I was like, hmm, interesting. But I told them I didn't want to do payroll. For sure, no payroll. Yeah. They said, no, no, finance will do payroll. Uh, we want you to, it's a blank canvas. Nothing of any sem- HR semblance ever existed. So mm-hmm. no policies, no talent development. So you had to do something from scratch. Um, I was among the first, I think, 20 employees in that organization. That organization grew to about 350 people. Whatever the uh, startup dream you know, getting listed, uh, international expansion, growing the business. These companies achieve every single thing. Wow, okay. Uh, and the co-founders, of course, became multi-millionaires. Uh, I wish I was a co-founder <laughs> for this one. And how long were you there for? Uh, three years. Uh, so one day, I, I still remember this conversation. I was sitting with my CEO and I asked him, so, you know, boss, what's next? We've grown. We have got operations in the Middle East, Southeast Asia, 300 people. And uh, he very... Uh, very um, what's the right word? Very directly told me that he felt that they grew too soon, mm-hmm. too big too soon, and he had told me that we will just stay and run operations. Um, it's not going to be any new country that you're going to venture to. Nothing glamorous, etc. Yeah, so they they've stopped expanding. They just yeah. want to sit back, not to say relax, but sit back and really Correct. do what they do well to to achieve their ROIs Correct. and profit. Margins and stuff Correct. like that. Because then, when you get listed, you got uh, other people, who shareholders, to shareholders care about, yeah. to take care of. Um, and then, so he said that uh, if I know you well enough, you're not going to stay because you'll get bored. Um, mm-hmm. So he said you can either stay or you can move on. And I will always remember this for the rest of my life. So we had a nice swanky office in uh, Jalan Ampang, yep. uh, overlooking KLCC. And he asked me, "So where do you want to go?" I look out at the office, really feels like a scene from a movie. Uh, and I pointed to one building, I said, I want to join that. Because prior to that, I've mainly uh, worked in local organizations. And mm-hmm. I pointed to ExxonMobil. At that point of time, uh, number one on Fortune 500. Um, and I said, I've never worked in an international company, I want to try. Yep. And he said, orang nak engkau ke? Like, Do they want you, right? Uh-huh. I have no idea. I sent in my resume, within two weeks, uh, they offered me a role. Because they wanted someone to bring a bit of an entrepreneurial mindset. Yeah. Uh, I worked in Exxon another two, three years. I uh, was doing HR business partner. Um, liked it. Exxon is so fantastic that nobody resigns. Um, That's going to be hell on. Uh, <laughs> on so, management so, so you have to wait for your boss uh, to retire, your boss to move on to the next role. Or, you know, something happens to your boss. Okay, I never wish that yeah. uh, in order for you to get the next role. And I was a bit too overambitious. Um, I think if there is a career regret, I think that was one of it. I think I left Exxon too soon. Right. 
then I moved to CAE, uh, which was the company that you hired me from. Yeah. Uh, CAE does uh, aviation uh, simulation, a full flight simulator. Uh, you know, so pilots now they don't need to train on the plane; they just train on the simulator and get a license to fly you. Um, so when when you are flying to Singapore tomorrow, right? Yeah. yeah. So the guy that's uh, manning the cockpit that could be the first time he's flying an actual plane. Thank God for autopilot. <laughs> uh, but autopilots, uh, well, let's not go there. Okay, but uh, then there's two. There's two. There's a pilot and a co-pilot, right? They can't be both. No, having no, their no, first no. Flights. The captain will be someone very senior. Okay, that's fair enough. Yeah. Uh, so, so I was there. There was a regional role, uh, Malaysia, Singapore, and by the time I left CAE, it was ten markets. Mm-hmm. It was uh, from South Korea down to Australia. I was responsible for all of that, and it was a very good experience because. Um, we grew into all these countries and the way we grew was some of it was a 50-50 joint venture and it's kind of difficult because no one has the upper hand some of it we acquired oxford academy which was we were number one oxford yeah. academy was number two uh, so throughout the whole years we used to say oxford sucks now suddenly we say hey oxford you're our buddy <laughs> right uh, so that culture journey uh, culture change journey uh, was very nice uh, a lot of learning experience Okay. But I used to travel 24, 25 days a month. Uh, the wife and I wanted to start a family. And whenever it was the right time, I was never in right. the country. Um, so, coincidentally, Pfizer called and uh, it all worked well. Yeah. So, when, when, when you say you're traveling quite often, when you borrowed the plane, did you have a peek in a cockpit to see which guy? Whether they no, that was after 9-11. <laughs> so, nobody can uh, take right, a peek right. uh, at the cockpit. Ah, okay. So, let's just... Um, Sort of talk about so you've been Pfizer for almost four no six six years okay well I left longer than I thought I left yeah. <laughs> okay and then you know, I know there's a whole bunch of role changes in Pfizer as well about you know concur- um, accordingly you grew bigger bigger in your role yeah um, you know because they were consolidating markets etc then of course right now you're taking on a larger role for for Shell yeah and in in, in your fifteen I'll say thirteen uh, fourteen years yeah. of HR excluding your commercial. Uh, experiences. I know this is pretty much a generic question, but where do you see the shift of HR moving across? Like, if you summarize it in sort of like one paragraph, is HR still the same 15 years ago, or is it vastly different now? No, I think it's vastly different, and uh, it has changed for the good. I think for HR professionals, um, today you hold a much more important portfolio in the office. Mm-hmm. I think 15, 20 years ago, HR was more personnel management. Um, and you know you used to do more admin clerical stuff. I think today HR um, again business partner is a cliche, but you are actually building the business. You should be together with the CFO, uh, the left and right hand of any CEO. Mm-hmm. And the the beauty about HR is uh, you can tell the CEO he is wrong, and whether the CEO accepts or not, I don't know. But I've always let that. You create that importance of your role by ensuring that it's not just saya yang menurut perintah to the CEO. Uh, so you have to have that courage to speak up, and that's your role to make sure that you are the conscience of the organisation. Um, you know, 20 years ago, no one spoke about uh, ethics and compliance. No one spoke so much about uh, you know harassment, etc. It was an accepted fact, uh, but now everyone is. We know there's something wrong. Yeah, and uh, things like diversity and inclusion as well. Exactly, exactly. Right. That's a big thing right now. Mm-hmm. And and let's just say I mean twenty twenty plus years ago we were taught or actually you know twenty plus years ago was pretty much twenty year two thousand already uh, 
Okay, we always forget that it's a yeah. initial 10 years to it. It so feels very long, feels but it's actually year 2000. Yeah. So I'll say about 30, 40 years ago, we were still looking at HR as a additional from the finance side. It's always the CFO that became the HR that took over some HR yep. roles as well. And then yep. eventually a CFO became a, a HR director, you know. But now it's different. Now, you know, we, we really focus on what is core HR. But if, having said that, from personnel management to to things like culture building, diversity inclusion, uh, all the tools and facilities that we have for HRIS, you know, uh, payroll, mm. feedback, all that. Where, in your point of view, is there one significant mm-hmm. element in HR that's more critical than the rest? Or do we have to balance all levers at I one time? I think you have to balance. And I, I you know me, I don't like safe answers, uh, but... I yep. think you have to balance. I think there are a few elements that are more important than the rest. I think your HR business partners are crucial. I think your talent person is extremely crucial. And um, anyone that runs change management, uh, that's going to be very crucial as well. Change management culture. Because yep. I think that's what is required from uh, a CHRO today. Um, it's no longer you know, how well we do our compensation. Of course, that is bread and butter. You still want to do it's no longer payroll because that's outsourced. It's no longer benefit management because that's outsourced. Mm-hmm. But what you cannot outsource or what cannot be taken over by an AI, for example, yeah. uh, is that HR business partner, that change management person, um, because that is still going to be crucial. And every organization I know, irrespective of how big or small they are, they are all going through some sort of uh, organizational change. Mm-hmm. And that's where your HR person comes uh, and play a big role. If you can summarize it in one line for my wife who is downplays HR roles. No, she downplays <laughs> you, not <laughs> HR. She was, she was like, what are you doing? I'm like, I, I do what I do in HR. Oh, you see, I forgot, right? Talent acquisition is another big one. Yes. Um, um, you know, I always tell a lot of graduates. I've met so many fresh graduates that end up with 10 job offers. Mm-hmm. And I've met so many graduates who go for 10 interviews but don't end up, maybe end up with nothing. Yeah. It's because it's like a pyramid, right? Everyone is playing at the top of the pyramid. So the candidate that uh, you want, the candidate that GE wants, that Pfizer wants, that Satya wants, etc., are the same candidates. So how does your talent acquisition person, does the employer branding to make sure that you know uh, they come to you? And in all honesty, Shell is a brilliant organization. Mm-hmm. Uh, but today, I think if you get a 21-year-old and say that uh, Shell is going to pay you 10,000 ringgit and let's say Google pays you 9,005, people might still opt for Google because of the branding. It doesn't mean that the the work is better, yeah. but because it's that cool image uh, that big companies uh, don't have. Yeah, definitely. And and we'll jump back on that, definitely. We'll jump back on uh, EVP or Employee Available Position. Um, actually, let's, let's talk about it now. Right? Okay. So, we're both in HR. I'm more specifically towards talent acquisition and recruitment. And EVP always plays a very important part. And we always mention that EVP or being a brand ambassador to the organization you're, you're in, it's not just HR's job. It's every single person that works for the particular Correct. organization is building that community of belief that this is one of the better companies to work for. And that builds a mindset for any new joiner, whether it's experienced hire or a graduate, that, hey, that's where I want to go. Yep. So in your Mine, in your point of view, what are key elements in, in what you just explained earlier? Someone would prefer Google versus Shell, which is 
could be a B2B organization. Mm. How do we then move the needle for potential hires to say that, hey, we're here, we're better, we can offer similar or better, that's what you're doing. We can do better things for your career. Is there a certain set message you want to... Yeah, so, so let me talk about what we're doing currently in my organization. Mm. Uh, because we know... Um, uh, we're not the sexiest uh, organization uh, compared to the Googles, uh, the faves of the world. I, I think it's to demystify the myths that when you join a big organization uh, like Shell, like Exxon, like Petronas for that matter, uh, you are just a tiny piece of the puzzle. And the value that you bring might not be as significant as joining a startup. Uh, I think it's trying to tell people what's the sense of purpose. I think I know sense of purpose is an overused term, but uh, yeah. we all want to work for a reason. Um, and, and for us, it's very clear. We want to tackle the energy challenge, right? Uh, how do we build um, uh, energy challenge for the next 50 years? Mm-hmm. And we want the, the best and the brightest to join us on that um, journey. So we sell them that value proposition, not just or a career of 30 years, you get uh, handsomely paid because... Uh, a 21-year-old don't want a career of 30 years in yeah. one company. They want something cool, they want something that comes in uh, and they get uh, to solve it. I think the thing that you got to worry about is you have a lot of policies that, you know, flexibility, you can work from home, blah, 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 blah. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, but I think it's important to tell the people in the organization that when you have all these workplace flexibility programs, it's not meant for the younger folks. It's meant for everyone in the organization. Mm-hmm. Because then for the sake of 20-30% of that generation, you're going to alienate the remaining 80% who's you know, given blood, set tears to the organization. So it's very important that when we communicate policies as such, it's for across the organization and not for one particular target group. Right. And... I guess what is, uh, if, if I can summarize that, so basically we're giving purpose for people, not just new joiners, but people in the current organization as well, as what the culture is building towards. It's not that I, I, I can chill here and for the next 20, 30 years pick up a multi-salary or do I want to join an organization that gives me purpose, that gives me visibility and because of that, I choose, you know, in, in quotes, a smaller organization. But a lot of people, when you talk about demystifying it, um, larger organizations have that semblance as well because as companies and organizations move towards corporate culture, it's not just about um, not just about annual reviews or, hey, you're checking all the boxes. Yep. It's yep. actually us listening to you, us being the business of HR, listening to you saying, that, oh, I actually want a, want a sense of purpose. And we are sort of molding the, the policies to give you a sense of purpose. So... Easier examples would be the flexi work hours, comp and band, rewards, Correct. all that kind of Correct. stuff. But then in, when you dig deeper into it, we actually give you projects, give you challenges, gives you, give you a lot of things to do to up your visibility and you know check boxes in your achievements yeah. that you have in your own head yeah. and not just what we set up for you. Correct. So for example, you tell someone that comes in, I want all the best ideas on how to make this organization a great place to work. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you got to listen to those ideas uh, because if every time someone gives you an idea, you say, oh, no, that doesn't work, that doesn't work, uh, then, you know, it's never going to work. Uh, for you, people will be uh, disenchanted and they will leave the um, the organization. 
Right. And and what about retaining talent? I know that in this landscape of, of work, uh, sorry, landscape of uh, hiring right now, a lot of people move organizations. Um, there's no more staying there for next four or five years because, you know, eventually when you talk about when you talk about performance management, how each person can go quite far enough, they sometimes, one, they get bored of the role that they're doing. Two, the organization is maybe not as robust mm. as they want it to be. And, you know, three, there, there's a very strong competition for talent out there. And, you know, if I come to you with, you know, X amount of percentage increment or X amount of work or give you a better title, they tend to want to jump um, you sure. know, to the other organization. So how do we build, in your point of view, how do we build that culture that you know, promotes sustainability of really good talent within the organization? Um, so it's a bit controversial. So I don't think someone should stay in the company for five, ten years mm-hmm. if they don't find a purpose anymore, they're not excited anymore, and they feel like they can get a much better learning experience in another organization. Having said that, uh, my current organization's uh, re- attrition rate is 2.5%, which right. is almost nothing. Uh, and so it says a lot about how they've retained the, organi- uh, they retain the, uh, the key people that they have. Um, but it's fine. I, I really find it's fine. If someone uh, feels that they can get a, a better deal, and by deal I mean you know, purpose, value yeah. of work, learning experience, maybe they identify with the, uh, you know, the CSR programs, the social entrepreneurship programs of that organization more than the current one. Then you know. Then I I don't think we can stop anyone from leaving. Yeah. Would you? I mean, from a couple of researchers that we we've seen before, compensation, it's not the number one mm. reason anymore. It's maybe last I seen is like number five or six. Yeah. Right. We're talking about. Yeah. You know what the actual mission mission organization. Even people who are focused on as you mentioned earlier, people who are focused on what the company does for CSR. Yeah. I think that plays an important part. Because they know, <coughs> as long as it's paid and they're paid good enough, yeah. enough for for that, then by all means it doesn't matter where they go per se. Um, they will still get paid, and you know they also are at a level of performance where they can command such payment. Because we're talking about as you mentioned earlier, correct? Top twenty twenty five percent of talents out there in the market, right? What about the other eighty percent of the talent? If I'm not such a great student, or I've been a a you know steady comfortable performer for in 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 organization um for about say 10 years and i want to move out what do i need to do to put myself at an advantage to get companies to recognize me um i think highlighting what were your achievement the last 10 years if you've been in an organization for 10 years and you have zero achievement Oh, that's tough, man. Uh, I don't think you're going to get the next job uh, outside. Then again, mm. the brand name plays uh, a role. If you're today in a big, large organization and you carry that 10 years experience, and if you have shown that although you're a regular average Joe, but you've moved roles, mm-hmm. or you even not necessarily promotion, right, just done different roles, I think then uh, you, know, you will have a bit of an advantage. Yep. And what I also feel is that it's now it's, I'll definitely hear your opinion on this. Now it's never about the role title. It's about how you explain the things that you do within the organization. Even if it's going to be certain projects that you run, that doesn't necessarily have to be your department. Mm. It can be CSR projects that Correct. you're doing. It can be um, different different collaboration projects that you're doing in different departments as well. 
is does that is that critical in terms of highlighting how versatile you are? Yeah, I think so. You know, there's this old adage that say that oh, don't do more projects in your work. The company is trying to take advantage of you. But if you look on the bright side, um, the reason why you do all that projects so you become more marketable in the future, then there is uh, nothing to lose. But you have to do that different projects. I, yeah. I I give an example. If today um, I'm a sales rep, right, and we work in a pharma company where sales rep is the you know, the main the main uh, workforce main workforce yeah. right the core of the organization. But if all I have done for ten years is selling the same product. To the same bunch of customers that I built relationship with the last ten years, if I'm going to hire that person next, I wonder whether that person is agile enough, that person is resilient enough uh, when he or she faces a rejection. So try to move even within the organization. Try to move. Yeah, and I think we see that. I mean, um, I think one of the good advice is also to look at if you are where you are now and where you want to grow into, to look at the people above you. Uh, where's the next level and what skills and what gaps do you have to make that level so talking about a sales rep right then we go to a senior sales rep then an area manager of sorts now if you look at review say hey the next person above me and a person two levels above me what do they have that I don't have and what can I do right now in my role and raise my hands to ask you know my managers some people or my leaders to learn all this stuff so I'm preparing myself to go to that particular level yeah the problem uh, with a lot of um, Asian team members that I've seen, and right, they are very hesitant to tell their team member this is what they're lacking. The feedback isn't clear. The feedback isn't um, as transparent as it should be. So imagine if today I speak to my boss and I tell my boss, oh, one day I want to take over your role. Uh, what are the two or three things I've got to work on? It's usually very general stuff that I will not be able to work on properly. Um, and I think that's not fair. I think as a manager, you've got to give very clear feedback yep. that, you know, shows uh, me these are the three areas that if you can't close the gap on these three areas, stop dreaming that you can ever going to be my role. You know, mm-hmm. Like that straightforward, polite, but straightforward, uh, direct feedback to tell people where they need to improve. Yeah, and, and they also give you avenues to work to closing that gap so you can actually achieve that role Correct. that you want to go for. Correct. Okay. Now, I guess my next question is also impact of an employee, right? So we're HR people. You've been commercial. You've, you obviously, your peers will be people in the uh, CFO, CEO, COOs. Um, who else do we have? Legal and a whole bunch of yeah. other people yep. that at the C-level. Um, how does an employee, HR or not, make an impact on organization? Let's say from a mid-level manager, for example, to a junior HR person, a mid-level manager, say in finance, to a junior HR person who, who that's doing, of all things, payroll right now. Yeah. So how do these two <laughs> people, I mean, okay, number one, let's not downgrade, let's not yeah, yeah, this yeah. on payroll, yeah. that's important. Um, but you know, it's only one segment of, of HR. And yeah, what's your, how would a person in, uh, let's say a finance manager and a junior HR payroll uh, specialist, how would they make an impact to the organization? Um, by doing the best that they can of their job today. Uh, you know, sometimes people worry too much about where am I going to get my next job. But if you do the best of your current job, your next job is going to come looking for you. I think that's one. Second, and this is uh, where we don't do so well in our part of the world, is we don't do career sponsorship. Mm-hmm. In the sense that 
you know, we have a junior HR person and he he or she is like the super coming superstar but none of my peers have ever heard of him none of our peers have ever seen him in action then that guy is never going to get that superstar status and that uh, career sponsorship i think it's very very important we don't do well um and i think that's required more in a larger larger organization where you got 5000 what 50000 people yeah you're just one out of 50000 if you are not raised to that platform where you can show off your skill where you can really prove yourself then you'll just be one of the 50000 well, what are i mean what are um real life scenarios where you can actually do career sponsorship how does that work across uh so you know we all do talent management right yep yep so the outcome of talent management is here nick is uh, a high flyer etc uh these are his gaps mm-hmm. uh so we give him a mentor right so you uh, assign a mentor hopefully the chemistry work with the mentor and things go on well but even if the mentor and you work well but no one above the mentor level is aware of who nick is you're not going to get the next job so what we usually do is uh, at a larger meeting where the big bosses are there we will give you a project where you can actually present and hopefully you don't royally screw up on that one opportunity that you get right is that fair of course it's not because right your work should speak uh, of itself but sometimes that 2 minutes 5 minutes presentation that you get and that's where you make an impact especially in a in a much larger organization because yep. it's super competitive is like you get one shot i mean not just one shot per se but you have a, a huge opportunity um but i haven't said that there are other people which are given opportunities as well so you better make your impact as critical as best Correct. you can Correct. Okay what what about the um let's say i'm a finance manager right i want to be known i've got a mentor what are the things that i can do to get my name out there to be visible to the business uh, ask for projects that are more business related and not just finance related i think that's one um make sure that uh, when you get these projects they are projects that are partnering the business right for example new pricing module uh, of the organization or a new way of um you know um i mean not just your normal regular pnl but you know how can you work with the organization Yeah, to I'm ensure financially they are they are sound and yeah. work with a team or, or multiple teams. That that's the start, right? And we also talk also about tracking what your impact would be, right? You can be doing something very normal. You can be doing P and L, AP, commercial stuff, or in a sense of uh, from a point of view from a junior payroll person, you can be raising a hand, say, "Hey, look, you know, I can just give you your know, salary every week. Uh, sorry, every week, every month." <laughs> we all good, wish that. Yeah, be a good company uh, every month. But I also want to come down to you to talk about compensation, rewards, benefits. These are additional things that I want to talk about. Um, I can meet up with with my HR, go to my HR director, have a, a proposition to see the link between rewards and benefit, and attrition rates, um, performance management. You can also come in if you're in manufacturing arena. Maybe get a bit involved in the union side, know how Correct. we can negotiate better rates, things like that. I think if you're doing your 100% of your job and your additional 20 30% more yeah, you to show out. that you're to stand out and mm-hmm. to show that you're ready um i think that's a, that's a added benefit and i hate 110% that people say 110% <laughs> i hate it because but there's no such thing to there's no such thing yeah. but now you talk about 100% of your job plus additional 20 30% of what you can do additional and then put it across correct 
I mean, give me an example, right? Uh, so I've, in my career, I dealt with this one payroll person uh, who not only did payroll, came to us to say that these are the new legislation that's going to change uh, the face of how we do compensation, how we do taxes, and this is the impact to the business. Mm-hmm. Now, that's an excellent payroll person. Right? It's not part of her job scope. Because her job scope is to make sure that no, we pay according to whatever the legislation is. But she took an added step and to say this is how the business is going to be impacted with this new legislation. Yeah, interesting. And that cuts across everything else, right? When yeah. you talk about working organization, it's always regulation, legislation that the government sets across. You need to be on top of your game as well. Anything from finance to sales to you know Anything. taxation. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, um, we're going to take a bit of a break right now and then we'll come back in a couple of minutes. Um, now, I've been told, just a sake way, I've been told that I should be splitting this to two parts. So I agree. Yeah. Yes. So <laughs> we're gonna. So you're gonna. Yeah. You're gonna. This one's for the first week, and then the next week you're gonna hear a second part. So yeah, give us a couple of minutes. We'll come back with part two with Shasmi Ali. Thank you. Thank you. Hey guys. So that was part one of the interview with Shasmi. Join us next week for part two. I'm not gonna do a huge outro. So. We'll see you next week.